Those are two like taboo topics. And I doubt that anybody's gonna go, hey, here's my checkbook ledger, go ahead, read through it. And we could just go, all right, let's take a look at so-and-so's checkbook ledger. We're just gonna make our way through this list. But had we done something like that, we will quickly find out what the priorities are of each and every one of us here tonight. And so, because uh, you hear me say this regularly, that if you ever want to know, if you yourself are like, man, I just don't know what my priorities are. Like, I want to make sure my priorities are God. And I'm just not sure sometimes. Here is what you can do. Look at your calendar app at your schedule and look at your checkbook register at where you spend your money. And those two things will absolutely show you what the priority is of your life. Schedule and finances. And so maybe this is why Jesus talked so much about money and possessions. And so tonight, for just a little while, I'm going to speak on this topic, hired for management. Hired for management. Lord, we love you, God. You're great. You're greatly to be praised. There's no one like you, God. And Lord, I thank you for everybody who's made it a point to be here this evening, who's prioritized being in the house of the Lord Lord, for this Principles for Life service, Lord, who has prioritized getting their children or youth, Lord, into classes that are geared at them, Lord Jesus, and where lives can be maybe not even changed, but where there could be something that's invested in them, Lord, that is going to be a seed that will grow. Lord, things that they will remember tonight that they hear in those classes. Help us never to not prioritize that. And Lord, in your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible has a tremendous amount to say about money or material wealth. A tremendous amount. In 16 of the 38 parables taught by Jesus, we discover principles concerning money. One in every 10 verses in the New Testament talks about money or possessions. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. One of every 10. And so, if you're here going, I wish they wouldn't talk about money in church, you're asking me to remove one-tenth of the New Testament. I'm not going to do it. And so, there are approximately 500 verses on prayer, a little less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. How we steward our money reveals volumes about our priorities, our loyalties, and our affections. In fact, it's, it directly dictates many of the blessings that we will or will not experience in our lives. I am not going to pastor or serve your family or pastor this church being consumed with money. Um, even if I, since day one, this church has paid me something to come in, even when we were smaller 14 years ago, and, I, and for that, I am grateful. Please don't take me wrong in saying that's, that I, I say that flippantly, like that's not a big deal. No, that's, that's livelihood that allows me to focus on ministry, and I'm grateful. However, I have never feared, fret, or worried in 14 years because this is God's church, and so even if the church was unable to pay me any money, I would still continue doing this knowing God 
it's your church. It's, it's, you're the one in control. You're in control of the church finances. You're in control of my finances. And so there's something about that, that that's, that's so important because what we do with money, it reveals, it reveals our priorities. It reveals our affections, not just even personally, but even as a church. I never want to stop the fact that we aim as this church, we aim to tithe on the tithe, so to speak. So, for instance, if the Bible talks about tithing being the first 10% of our income, and I'm preaching this, and we tithe to the local storehouse like Scripture talks about, I aim for the local storehouse, and our church board aims for the local storehouse then to take 10% of the tithes and offerings that are given to the church from you, and we aim to take 10% and send that out into the kingdom. North American missions, global missions, save our children, uh, global missions vehicles, move the mission, North Christmas for Christ. We're always aiming. We don't want to just consume not only in our individual households, but also as a church, we, all, we don't want to consume every dollar that we have. And that's why, to me, if somebody said, hey, we can get you into this awesome facility, and we're so pumped looking for the, the next building, but they said, but here's the thing, it's going to take every dollar you have, and you're going to have to put missions giving on hold. We will not go to that new facility. I know that that sounds crazy. Like, are you kidding me? Well, down the road, we could maybe generate more. No, I will never, ever say to God that we're going to start consuming every dollar, even as a church, okay? And so um, one of Satan's most effective deceptions is the idea that our happiness is attached to the things we possess. It's one of the greatest tools and tricks that he has. And so he has us living to where we consume every dollar on ourselves so that if something shifts in our lives, we are now living in extreme anxiety and fear to the point where we're not able to do what he's called us to do in prayer and fasting, study of the word, teaching Bible studies, making disciples, uh, being in church, because we have to now start to work double and triple and quadruple because to cover the way of life that we have now allowed ourselves to have. And so one of his ideas is, is hey, you know what? Everything that, that, that you own, that is what is going to make or break you. That's what's going to bring you true happiness or joy. And if you lose that, oh, you lose everything. You lose who you are. You lose your identity. My identity is not in the truck that I drive. My identity is not in the fact that I hold a position or a title called lead pastor of a church. Again, don't say that flippantly. I take this as an honor. But I want us to know that who we are, our identity is, I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The title, the finance, the truck, the house, that does not define who we are. But it's through this deceitfulness of the, the, the devil that we find ourselves sometimes trapped in materialism and Paul told the church in Colossae, he said in Colossians 3, 2, he says, set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. And I know that I would like to think that my, oh no, materialism does not, it does not touch me. 
Yeah, right. It touches me and you and all of us. You can try to say, no, it does not. It's going to touch you. It's going to touch your family. It's going to touch your marriage. It's going to touch your children. We have to be aware of it because it's the world that we're, we live in. Just because we're followers of Jesus Christ does not mean that we're now immune to the deadly consumption of materialism. Everywhere we turn, we are constantly stalked by advertisements, displays, showrooms, digital media. Even our phones, our social media accounts are specifically catered to bombard us with materials that we find interesting based on search terms, age, gender, where we live. That's why you can search for something on Google and all of a sudden, boom, you're going through social media and you're like, this is for sale. Look at this verse. There, that, what? I, I searched a, a workout gym and, and now all of a sudden I'm getting gym advertisements from Australia with free shipping and setup and you're going this is not this is not some random chance this is brilliant people who understand logarithms and they set up things and search terms to go I am going to go after that 61 year old lady I'm going to go after that 38-year-old man. I'm going to go after that a single person that doesn't want kids. I'm going to go, like, it's, it's catered to you to the point where all of a sudden you're going through and you're going, you know, I didn't even really think I wanted that, but there it is. It's a pretty good price. You know, I could really use this. Matter of fact, I deserve this. faces us. It hits us in the face all the time. So what do we do? We work harder and harder so we can purchase more and more. Because I want to enjoy the things of life. So I'm going to work harder so then I can get more stuff. And if I need to, I'll tear down my barn and build a second one that's bigger. I think scripture talks about it, right? Money's a very small thing. Money cannot buy happiness. We see athletes make money, more money than, than, unless you're hiding something, more money than any of us will ever probably make. And they make it probably in like, I mean, Patrick Mahomes probably makes more in a week than we will ever make in our whole life. Poor guy, his house is, if you're interested, he's got a $2.9 million house listed right now, right off the plaza. And he's building a new one. So you could go buy Patrick Mullen's house if you got 2.9 million. Money can't give eternal life. Nor can it give real meaning to life. Money's amoral. What does that mean? It means sometimes people think amoral, that's immoral. No, that's not immoral, amoral. Amoral means it doesn't have a life force. It cannot act on its own. Like if, if you hand someone a stack of $100 bills and be like, careful, money is bad. It's the root of all evil. Well, then just give it to me. I'll hang on to it for you. Because money's not bad. It's immoral. It cannot do good or bad deeds by itself. Therefore, it's not good or bad. Money follows our commands. But yet we're not 
to be a slave to it. Because then what can happen is we start to follow the commands of money, like the, this life of money. And so we start to align our lives with what society dictates as success and rich and famous. And, but you see, money, if we have it, it doesn't matter if we have $1, $1 million. I know you say, oh, yes, it does. But here's the thing. I have seen people who are rich handle money wisely. I've seen people who are poor handle money wisely. And I've seen vice versa. I remember we came here right after one of the first things we did was Financial Peace University. We hung door hangers and we split up into groups. We only had like 18 people. So we did as much as we could. My wife and I, we got the neighborhood that had like multi-million dollar homes and I was like and how are we gonna I feel like an idiot walking up to this door going are you ready for financial freedom and like handing it to people that live in these houses I'll never forget my wife said these might be the people who need it more than anybody but I still felt goofy doing it Money itself is not the root of all evil. People misquote that all the time. First Timothy 6, 10 says, the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, you'll talk to people that like, well, you can't love money. If you're going to go into ministry, you have to be poor. And I went into ministry expecting to be poor. I'll be honest with you, because most people are not like, hey, I want to go to school to be a doctor or a lawyer or a rich preacher. Like, that doesn't typically, <laughs> doesn't typically happen. That's very rare, okay? But uh, there's nothing wrong with money. But when we love it, when we get to the point where that amoral stuff starts to consume our very being and who we are. Well, some have coveted after and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with, through many sorrows. Money and the love of money can really derail someone extremely fast because it becomes the thing when they love something, that is what they begin to pursue. And so when we pursue something more than God, that becomes the Lord of our life. And so I had a friend who, who loved money, and he still does. Every time we spoke, I haven't talked to him in a while, without my inquiring. There's nothing wrong with somebody saying, hey, how's the business going? How are things going? Oh, yeah, here's what's going on. But when we spoke, every time we spoke, without me inquiring, without me saying, he would just start saying, yeah, here's what I recently bought, and here's how much I made on my recent job, and our company did this much last year, and here's what it looks like we're going to do this next year, and here's what I'm looking to buy next, and I would just listen, try and drop in a little nugget and, and stuff, but that was, that was everything. That was the whole conversation. Why? Every conversation centered around money because money was the most important thing to him. And by worldly standards, he is extremely...
extremely successful, extremely successful. But he's also right now in the process of losing his kids. Money. Jesus was clear that a person's attitude toward money is an indicator of his or her relationship with God. Money, money is a good servant, but a horrible master. Money will dominate us if we follow the wisdom of this world. But if we submit to the wisdom that is from above, then money will serve us and we will use it to serve the kingdom of God. Again, I will never sit and preach against money. I, I read the New Testament. They didn't have big facilities, big churches. Where did they meet? Homes. Thank God that someone in that society in first century was successful enough to have a home that might be large enough to host a group of people for a prayer meeting or a service or for signs, wonders, and miracles to be done. Thank God. But the love of money, it shifts our attention off of, hey, I can use this to further the kingdom of God and more into, hey, what can I get next? We don't have to be afraid of money. We just always have to keep God first. And when money comes, if we keep God first, then we will go, Lord, I will use this to further your kingdom. Lord, whatever you bless me with, I will take this and I will aim to further your kingdom. If you bless me with a vehicle, I'm going to use it for the cause of Christ. If you bless me with a home, I'm going to open it up whenever I can to host Bible studies and, and discipleship activities, whatever it is. God, if you bless me with resources, Lord, I want to say, God, how do you want me to direct these resources to further your kingdom? You know what I often find is when our attitude is that, he goes, hey, if you're faithful in the littler things, I'll go ahead and bless you with bigger things. You hear people sometimes, oh, man, if I ever won the lottery, I'd give it all to the church. Yeah, right. <laughs> because if I get $500 and can't give the church 50 I'm going to get $5 million and give 500000 to the church. Like, probably not. So we, we, we got to go, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful in the little things and know that you can trust me with bigger things. We understand and believe that God is the creator and owner of all things. The psalmist aptly stated Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. We all belong to God. We all belong to him. Everything we have, everything we possess, it's all his. You may have heard somebody say, I've never seen a hearse carrying a trailer with the stuff of the deceased. You know, there's Bible for that. Job 121 says, He's, Job says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not like we enter the earth naked and leave 
with a 2023 Mercedes in a mansion. Okay, I mean like, it's all God's and, and we don't take anything with us. First Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and is certain that we can carry nothing out. God states in his word that everything belongs to him. Everything. Psalm 50 and verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. You ever hear somebody say, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Just in case he didn't know where that was, here's the biblical principle right here. That wasn't just some thing that somebody shouts out that they don't really, it's not really Bible. It's Bible. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Everything belongs to him, including every church building in the United States of America. Both John the Baptist and James, the half-brother of Jesus, declared that everything we possess belongs to him. John 3, 27 says, John answered and said, a man cannot, can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from the God, our Father, who created all the lights in heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So if nothing comes to us but by his blessing, by his allotment, therefore there is no such thing as a self-made millionaire. Yeah, yeah, look at that guy. He's a She's a self-made millionaire. No she is not. There's a lot of millionaires that don't love God. They don't serve God. They don't know God. But God, for still whatever reason, he has allowed them to be a millionaire. So no matter what, we can't just leave this place and go, I'm going to go do this. No, it's still, if he owns everything, the only way that we get to where we are and if we have financial goals is if he is blessing us and allowing that to be the case. I don't, I don't like to, I, I know it just gets old sometimes to hear about it, but obviously many of you probably know my wife has a boutique. If not, go buy from it. But to this day, still, if, if it makes a noise of a sale, she still will go, thank you, Jesus. Every sale, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because we fully understand that boutiques could end, the internet. I mean, something could go crazy. Facebook could just stop people from viewing things. They have so much power, that Facebook. And so we know, like, hey, God, whatever it is that you have blessed us with, it, it's, it's totally in your hands. We know that in 24 hours, whether it be health, technology, whatever it is, we know that God instantaneously could change everything. And so, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this financial blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this. How do you want to do this? Where do you want to direct these resources, God? Everything I have is his. It's his to use. Hard work is a topic found in Scripture, but hard work only translates into millions if God is the one who blesses our efforts and bestows things upon us. It's, it is still, no matter how hard you work, it is still your blessing is in the hands of God. 
And that's why I know it's a crazy topic that seems like nobody really touches on or doesn't believe all that much anymore. But sometimes I like to think of myself as cutting edge, trying new things. And sometimes I'm just super old fashioned. And this is one of those ways I'm super old fashioned. I don't care what you say. I just, man, my family, my parents raised me that you never work during a church service. I know that's a, I know people disagree with that now. But I would work restaurant, and that's a tough one. You have to work weekends, and I'd say, hey, I can't, I can't work this day. Can't work Sundays, can't work Wednesday nights. And uh, boy, they would push at me a lot. They would try and schedule me. I know, just this once, and, I'd, and my dad, I'd go home and say, Dad, they just, I started as a bus player at 14 years old. I'd say, Dad, they scheduled me. I can't do anything about it. He's like, oh, yes, you can. He's like, I worked in a restaurant. You need to go to your manager and say, hey, we've already talked about this, if I could. He said, because they know if they can get you to do it once, they know that you'll do it whenever they schedule you. So I remember as a 14-year-old, man, oh, man, learning. Had to walk into my manager's office, my voice shaking. Uh, yeah, so uh, my dad, I talked to him, and, uh, and uh, so i 14, and I know I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't work. And um, Well, we just needed this one time. My dad told me it was coming. I said, I'm sorry. I said, it's, it's really a big thing with our family. I said, um, I don't miss church. I said, so. My dad said, Gary, if they ever said, well, this is it or your job, he said, just trust God enough. They never did. They always honored that. And when I went into management, I think I worked there from like 14 to 23 or something like that, 24, I don't even remember. And I think two Sundays I worked, and that was because management was either sick or out of town, and I was managing at that point, and I covered a shift. Um, but I, I, that's something that, that growing up, even as a 14-year-old, having to stand and face my manager and go, I will not do this. Thank God my parents were instilling something in me at a young age that, you know what? Just trust God. Trust God. Now I know there's circumstances that can happen and crazy stuff happens. You know, I, I get it. But that should be the exception and not the norm. And so I can, I can, I can go forward going, Wow. I look over my life and I see choices that I made, things that I stood for, and God has really, has really honored those, those things. He's really blessed, blessed me more than I deserve. And so hard work, yeah, it translates, but only if God, only if God blesses. Everything, everything we are, everything, he's, everything we're searching for, it's all in his hands. The Apostle Paul got in the faces of the Corinthian church on this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He said, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? I'm blessed. But nothing I have is not something God's. God has given me everything that I have. And if, you, if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Hard work is biblical, but guess what? 
My home is a gift from God. My truck is a gift from God. Vacations are a gift from God. Going out to eat, grabbing a burger or some custard, that's a gift from God. My paycheck is a gift from God. The food that we ate today, those are gifts from God. We say we believe this, but if it's only in theory and we deny it in practice, what good is it? When this happens, we slip into the attitude that God warned the Old Testament Israelites about. He said in Deuteronomy 8, it's a long passage, but listen to, listen to how this transpires. God says, be careful to obey all the commandments I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply. You will enter and occupy the land the Lord, Lord swore to your, your ancestors. He said, remember how the Lord God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. Sometimes we will go through wilderness experiences, and it's simply for God to humble us and prepare us for blessing. And to find out whether or not you'd obey his commandments, he said, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. That's amazing in itself. Traveling through the wilderness for 40 years and your clothes didn't wear out. I mean, you didn't need to stop at Old Navy or Banana Republic or Gap. I mean, like, it's just the same clothes. They just, they just kept living on. Think about it. He said, just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord, your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commandments of the Lord, by your God, by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Hey, we've just been talking about all the challenges, the 40 years, the humbling. But now I'm going to transition. Because God's got plans and he's getting ready to, to something, something's going to turn the corner here. He said he's bringing you into a good land, flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and the hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines and fig trees. Going through the wilderness, <laughs> you didn't see a lot of this stuff. Of olive oil and honey, it's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure, hey, we've been talking about the challenge. I'm telling you, God's getting ready to bless you, but now there's a warning. Why? Because sometimes when you're going through the hard times, you're crying out to God, and then the, you, you turn the corner, and you enter a season of blessing where, man, I don't remember the last time I really needed something. For some of you, you might be in the wilderness season going, man, this is tough. For some of you, maybe you've turned the corner and you see, hey, you know what? Actually, we're doing all right. For some, we don't remember what it feels like. So, man, I really need something. God says, let me issue a warning to that group of people. When you come full, when you become full, he says, when you've eaten your fill in verse 10, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. He says, but that is the time to be careful. 
Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. Hey, we talked about the tough times. You're turning the corner. You're getting ready to be blessed. But you've been blessed the whole time because God's been with you. But too often, we're only focused on the material things. We're focused on what we can see and dress and, and, and at the here and now. And he's like, hey, it's been a challenging time. You're going into some good times, but let me give you a warning. Keep praising God. Keep thanking God. Don't forget that the Lord your God gave you these things. For verse 12, when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in. Anybody live in a fine home? I think most of us do, right? He says, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, he says, be careful. Wait, wait, why be careful? I thought we've been shooting for this. We've been in bondage for 430 years. Then we're in the wilderness for 40 years and we're finally getting to a promise. We're finally talking about some olive oil and some, some leeks and some onions and we're going into some great things and you're talking about blessing us. And now why are you saying be careful? We've been, man, we've been pumped looking for this. this is what we've been saving for. This is what we've been praying for. This is what we've been working for. This is what we've been investing for. And God says, be careful. Why? Maybe the New Testament, it doesn't say a rich person can't enter the kingdom of God. But it says it's difficult. Talks about an eye of a needle and a camel. It says some crazy stuff. Why? Because if we're not careful, when the blessings come and the riches come, he goes on and he says, what? He says, don't forget that he led you through, verse 15, a great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you with man in the wilderness. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did this so you would never say in verse 17, I have achieved this wealth by my own strength and energy. King James says, by my hand, self-made millionaire, my foot. He's saying, hey, I know this is what you've been looking for and you're excited about this and you certainly want to get out of the 40 years in the wilderness where I had to provide everything for you, but just let me warn you, child of God, he says. I'm, even in all this blessing, don't forget, I'm still the one that provides for you. Why? Because what can happen sometimes is in all our education and promotions and salary increases and investments and properties and all these things, we would never say, yeah, it's kind of got this under control now. But we can live like, you know what? It's been a long time since I've been in need and honestly, it's just been my education and my hard work, and I've really worked to get to this point in my life. 
And subconsciously, we start to look at, it was easier to cry out to God when I was in the middle of the desert and I couldn't find any water or anything to eat because he was my only source of provision. But now I'm getting warned because I'm going into a, a good place where food and water and, and shelter, it's abundant. And there's fine homes everywhere. You would think we'd go, hey, praise God even more. God's so good. But it's easier to not cry out to him. Because now there's an abundance of all the things that I've looked for. And when somebody's paying me to work for them, I can, I can almost go, you know what? I've kind of earned this. Kind of have a right to this. And God's going, just be careful. He says, remember the Lord your God in verse 18. He's the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. So, you know, leave that up there. No matter what any of us do for a living, no matter what any of us do for a living, we could have a physical episode tonight. We could not wake up tomorrow. We could wake up and not even have the, the soundness of mind. Our bodies are absolutely mind-boggling and amazing. The way that blood pumps, the way, have you ever talked to someone who was perfectly 100% healthy and all of a sudden a blood clot changed their life or took their life? Just like that. How somebody perfectly healthy went in for an annual checkup and came in and the doctor said, I'm so sorry. We found cancer through your body. All of a sudden, everything that was important just is like nothing, none of that's important anymore. And so I'm saying that even if we're like, no, my job's pretty secure. No, they just, companies can be sold overnight. And all of a sudden, everything you've worked your whole life for is just gone. Or all of a sudden, you're healthy and just, it just changes. I talk to these pastors who just keep pastoring and keep pastoring. I've talked to ministers who work their whole lives and all of a sudden they retired and they're like, I'm going to travel with my family. And then boom, just something happens. One family that come, come, came and visited on the 4th of July several, several years ago for a number of years in, in a row. He owned a security company. He said, I'm going to retire early and go spend time with my wife and my son. And went on his, I think his first trip after retirement. He was playing cards with his friends and just all of a sudden, boom, died. So, I mean, it doesn't really read. You retire at 52 or 82, our, our lives are still in the hands of God. Me, I'm going to call it quits at 62. I got 20 years left. I'm not going to be one of those pastors that's pastor until I'm 88. 
God bless them if they want to do that. But I want to go and travel the world with my wife. And, but you know what? At any point, something can happen just like that. And so again, well, that's why he says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. You, know, you don't know what a tomorrow brings. So all we can do is, God, you're first in my life. You're first in my prayer life. You're first in finances. You're first. More than anything or anyone, you are number one in my life. Why? Because, yes, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try and be successful, whatever success is. I'm going to try very hard to perform on my job. I'm going to try hard to, to be what you've called me to be, to do things with excellence. This is probably a lot of us, what we're saying. But I also want to remember the warning. Remember the Lord your God. Because he says he gives us the power to be successful. Not just spiritually. This whole, this whole passage was about eating and building homes and going into good lands. This is not just a spiritual, oh, yes, he's given us power for ministry. We could go spiritualize this. No, he's talking about, hey, when you work and you got food and, you're, and, and, and if they would have been driving back there, they probably would have mentioned cars. But he's talking about homes. And he's talking about these things. He says, just remember, God's given you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant. So you know what? Any success I have, if we have a nice home, I want to have that thing open for small groups and Bible studies and youth groups, and I want, I want, I want to open that up. These give me a reliable car. I want, to, I want to say, hey, how can we go use this to, to further God's kingdom? If he's given finances, I'm not going to sit and argue with him about 10%. Do I pay on the pre-tax or the post-tax dollars? If somebody once said, do you want a pre-tax or a post-tax blessing? So you know what I'd prefer to do? Let's just round up. And I know naysayers, they look at me, well, of course you're going to say that. You're the pastor. <laughs> I'll let you go ahead and look at our financial books from the 10 years prior to pastoring. That's the way my parents taught me to live. I didn't ever earned God's blessing. I will never be stupid enough to stand here and say, I earned it. No, it's only by his plan. But I will say that since I was 14 and started getting my own money, I have always kept God first. And I can genuinely say, not in a, yeah, yeah, like, no. Just in a, God has never forsaken me. And I've gone through tough times that many of you have heard stories, and I don't have time to tell all of them. Challenging things. But even then, we kept them first. And 10% is not, it's not, I don't remember the last time we gave 10%. And again, that's not a bragging, arrogant thing. It's just to me, I want to give that. I want to give offerings. I want to support missions. I want to give to campaigns. I want to do all this. I promise you. I will never get up and tell you about this stuff if I'm not going to lead the way. 
promise you. But I know when I read the word and I see this and I've seen, I could sit here and I could tell you story after story after story of God's faithfulness and blessing and provision so much that it would probably, somebody might take it as a, man, he's really arrogant. Oh, he's standing, he's bragging. But if I, if I share these stories, it's simply to say I am bragging on God. I am bragging on God's principles. I am bragging on the fact that God is our provider. I'm bragging on the fact that he never, ever lets us down. He's faithful. He's faithful. Not just faithful in spiritual things. Money is spiritual. That's why it's mentioned in the New Testament, one every ten verses. But he's faithful in financial things, too. But not if our heart is just, I love money and I want more of it. No, he says, remember why I gave you the power to be successful? To further my plan. Like Dave Ramsey says, you live like no one else, so later you can give like no one else. Stewardship is the second greatest theme in the Bible outside of salvation. God owns everything, and we're created to manage or rule over his creation. It has been said that when God made man, he gave him junior partner status. And I'm not going to be much longer, but God's first command to mankind involved stewardship. Genesis 1, 26, he said, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry around the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, and the image of God created them. Male and female created he them. Then God says to them, man and, man and woman are there, and now what's the first thing he's going to say? He says, God says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything has life, and this is what happened. Who owned? We just read about the animals that scurry on the ground, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the green plants. Who owns all that? Everybody's like, I ain't answering. This is a trick question. God said, I created this. So he owns it. He says to the man and the woman, I'm going to give you dominion. You need to rule over all this stuff. Now who owns it? Still God. He owns everything. But when he creates man and woman, he gives, tells them two things. Number one, he says, I am blessing you with all the things that are mine. And then he says, I'm calling you to manage these blessings. They're mine. I create them. They're all mine, but I'm giving them to you to manage them, but they're still mine. When we forget these principles that he has simply blessed us with the things we have and he's called us to manage these things, we must always remember it's never our stuff. When I managed that restaurant, it was not my restaurant. I did not 
call people and go, come on, this is my restaurant. Come in over with you. Let me get you guys free food. This is my restaurant. I would have been fired. It was not my restaurant. I managed it. I took responsibility for it, but it was not mine. If we forget this, we start living like everything we have is ours. We essentially try to trade places with God. We try to make it our stuff. And then you know what happens? We become our own provider. And God cannot and will not bless that. So in closing, as you stand to your feet, God has given us, you know, people will, uh, that, that doesn't seem fair, that 10%, I'm giving God 10% of my money. You're, you're just, your statement's messed up. It's not your money. Yeah, I worked hard for it. God gave you the capacity to work. He gave you the health to be able to do so. He allowed you to have that position. And he said, it's a great deal. He said, you know what? It's all mine. I'm going to let you keep 90% of it. I'm like, that is an amazing deal. But if our outlook is, oh, he's got to give this. No, I'm going to go, no way. If this is all yours, I'm, I'm not keeping 90. I'm going to give you more than that. I don't want to just have, I don't want to just give you 10%. If you're the one that's given this in the first place, I'm giving more than that every single time. Why? Because you're the one. You're the one who, who holds all the power. You're the one who has all blessing. You're the one. I want to honor you. <laughs> I don't want to love money. I certainly want to use it for your kingdom. And of course, I'm going to take care of my family, myself, have some nice stuff. But I'm not going to get to the point where I go, I love this. I want more of this. No. And so he's called us into this beautiful opportunity and responsibility of being a steward, a manager. May we all, as we close tonight, pray for wisdom on how to direct his funds. Tonight was not a message at 10%, here's what you pay, and you got to pay 10%, here's what 10% is, here's what a general offering is, let's talk about the difference of these things. No, tonight was a, let's look at our hearts, and how do we look at money as a whole? Is it mine? Is it my stuff? No, not at all. It's his, he lets me keep 90, I don't, oh God help me. I just want to be a good steward. How do you want me to direct this? How do you want me to, where do you want me to put these funds? The campaign came up. I know so many. You said, God, what do you want me to give? And in some cases, you wrote down a number that was way higher than you were comfortable with. But I believe that God spoke and you said, God, this is not mine. So if you are calling me to do this, you're my provider. I will not live in fear. I'm going to move forward. And here we are. I know we're looking for a building. Oh, and I know Brittany said something about wasted or, 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 or failed campaigns. And I'm glad she caught herself because that ain't the case. That, those resources are what's allowing us to go, hey, we're financially fit to move into the next place and give a healthy offer without having to just ask everything from a bank and just freak out when one family wants to go to the mission field. No. We want to say in this church, we got this, and we're going to send you to the mission field and give you an offering. 
because this is all God's. Everything we own is God's. Everything that's in this church is God's. It's all His. The fullness is His. And so you better believe money is a form of worship. And I want to worship you, God. And so I invite you to find a place before you leave and pray that God would give you the wisdom to direct His funds, the self-control to not consume everything, and faith in God to put it where He tells you to. Jesus, we love you. God, help us tonight. Help our outlook on blessings and money, Lord. Help us, Jesus. God, what a principle for life for us tonight. It's time to see your song. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us tonight. i
it'll be fine. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.